0: No more to serve a goat or a hato or some mas and budhasa. More to serve a goat or namasami. We have the all night the all night vigil this is the pulse of the day in full moon in august and we're using this occasion for uh, it's called an all night vigil so it's uh, uh, put some markers around that you know, we start at seven thirty in the evening the morning chanting is about three thirty in the morning a break in the middle of the night midnight for a drink and uh, practice sitting, walking, practice with that within those with that boundary of time, just being vigilant, you know, any of the four postures wouldn't rate the fourth posture that highly in the all night vigil, as <laughs> it's likely that the vigil will kind of cease, <laughs> but if that's the way it goes. <laughs> There's going to be another one coming up later, because really this is, uh, we're actually an an all-life vigil. (laughs) This is just a little kind of microcosmic um, manifestation of what's an all-life vigil, trying to be vigilant for a lifetime. But when you kind of reduce it to something that's just uh, a few hours, uh, you can gives you a good template of uh, what that what that means and what comes up and how the practice is it's a, uh, it's a kind of living uh, template I think we all basically understand the four noble truths and suffering and cessation the four foundations of mindfulness, we have these ideas in our mind concepts and then we put something down on the ground try to practice kamatana practice, need a template, need a temple. Temple is a place where you've put some boundary markers and you get inside that and you contemplate what happens within that. So in ancient Rome they used to create a little boundary stones and lines on the ground and stand within it and contemplate movement of birds or entrails of goats or movement of leaves or stars and try to get some idea of the meaning of this. In Buddhism, we contemplate our own entrails, (laughs) the movement of our own stars, leaves, blowing of gusts of wind, praise, blame, fear, joy, happiness, dullness, excitement, anticipation, thinking about tomorrow, thinking about yesterday movements of nature and all their pangs and their joys and their persuasions. And we try to hold a boundary of contemplating rather than getting fixated either you know, repressing them shoving them away getting panicky about it all or getting in there and engaging with it and proliferating around it. These two patterns in which the, when the mind loses its sense of vigilance and mindfulness, it tends to either go in there and try to stop things happening or shut things up or sort it all out or um, gets involved and proliferates. We start to create all kinds of stories <coughs> about our lives, who we are, our past, our future, what we should be, other people, um, scenarios, the monastery, the world, and all kind of comes steaming up and uh, that's kind of what life is about isn't it and then every now and then you manage to get a tackle this stuff hold it down for a while and look at it clearly wow this is old stuff fear being overwhelmed fear feeling needy not getting enough of the good stuff uh, wanting to be more active wanting to be less active Irritated by people, people getting on me or people not giving me enough. So we find these patterns of, of being feeling ourselves rather overwhelmed or pressed in by life. Or underwhelmed, not getting enough, and needing to reach out to get some more contact. Uh, interesting things to do, some action here. I'm just feeling kind of bored and stale and nothing, nothing's really connecting. So these two patterns bhava we vibhava. vibhava you're trying to get away from because it's too much bhava trying to get something going because there's not enough not enough energy, not enough potency, not enough charge, not enough going on so we swing around in, in those experiences you're know, trying to contemplate the stuff that happens in the mind and You know, coming down to some of these two fundamental currents. What pleasure, pain does to us. What disappointing thoughts and memories do to us. What interesting thoughts and ideas do to us. What people we like and enjoy do to us. What people we feel apprehension or fear or irritation with do to us. You know, the, the being moved by it all. And this is what we contemplate. And uh, also, within that, uh, there's a contemplation of where we feel strong or clear or happy or comfortable. And that's very important because you can't, you don't have the resources to handle all this uh, stuff unless you've got somewhere where you're getting the uh, feeling of calm and composure. You've got your feet on the ground. Mm. So every temple has boundaries around it. Just like now we're sitting in this hall and there's the rain outside. Thank goodness we're not out in the rain. It's warm, dry, quiet. Uh, There's a boundary there. And then in this boundary, we use it profitably. If it's working for us, as a gathering up of mindfulness and uh, attention and... Centeredness, concentration. Whereas if we didn't have this, we'd be scrambling around looking to get somewhere to get dry or. You know. So the boundaries both exclude things that distract or spin us out and also include where we're feeling good, where we get the mindfulness and enlightenment factors, calm, happiness to, to, to grow and develop. It's very important to get both of that. This is what boundaries do. They include the good stuff and they exclude the rough stuff. And as you do that, you get that kind of basic template practice. Then you start to look within and seeing where one's mind is, uh, you know, running away or missing the good stuff. It's, uh some of the, Sadness and confusion in the human realm is we have uh, this potential for awakening and yet the mind seems to keep missing it. Missing the little spark of that or the seed of that, not, not cultivating it. And yet when you ask any average person would you like to suffer or not suffer, and they'll say, well, of course I'd like to definitely not suffer. And you don't deliberately go out there and start suffering. But, uh, we get confused as to where that where you know our ending of suffering is where we really get the good stuff, a lot of practice and realization is in recognizing you know some things that seem to be relatively good you know sense pleasures, happiness, sleep, warmth, and so forth have a very limited shelf life before they go off, and yeah. They've got some happiness of them, otherwise we do, wouldn't do them at all, but we need something deeper. And uh, that's something that everyone has to get to realize for themselves, you know. You, can say, you can just remind the limitations of uh, sensory realm, limitations of, of financial gain, the limitations of praise and adoration, being popular, most mm. popular people end up going slightly potty or inflating or getting overwhelmed with <laughs> losing it, losing their balance with it mm. Mm. most people in big positions of power you know, when they seem to be have enormous amounts of power and attention and, and uh, People focusing on them. In states of extreme stress of crack up under it. So how good does being popular do you? And yet do you want to be unpopular? No. So it's neither it's got to look in a different realm, haven't we? Not sense pleasures, not praise, not blame. But we're looking to these enlightenment factors, calm, mindfulness, investigation. So on. Well, the Buddha said, your four foundations of mindfulness, this is the area you want to live within. This is the boundary, you might say. This is your temple. Maintain mindfulness of the body, feeling, mind states, and the processes that we have good and bad, energies, patterns that happen for us. Whether we get strung out in jealousy or or we get joy. When we get uh, calm, when we get uh, more and more distracted and agitated in spiritual processes, so you start to contemplate, are you, where are you in that at any given time? Are you mindful of how it's happening? You place your mindfulness in these really important areas. This is where our good stuff's going to grow. If we can stay within that, where you really are not getting strung out in feeling, in mind states, Negative processes, strung out in, you know, delight in your body or disgust over it, you know, or attraction to other people's bodies. Then, you know, you're going to find this is where the good stuff starts to accumulate. And it's recognizing how, although we understand this in theory, and you can do it. Periods of time, life vigil means you're trying to integrate all that into the way we live. We live with other people. And other people touch off mind states in us. Our events touch, up, touch off mind states in us. Our seemingly external phenomena become internalized. We could think they're completely in- external, but actually there's this internal and external are very relative there. There's this continual dependent arising of ex- what seems to be external in terms of sights and sounds, events, experiences, people, triggering off internal events, it's excitement, despair, opinions, views, agitation, and so on. So that's, that's the life vigil, isn't it? You're finding somewhere where you can contemplate this. And Monasteries are, that's what they're about. One place that they're about, they're, they're a place for the life of vigil. Like anything else, including any any system meditation system, after a while, it's easy for that the monastery or the technique to become a thing in itself rather than being seen as a place or an opportunity within which we contemplate succeeding, failing people, events, getting it right, getting it wrong, you know overreaching underreaching. You know, the, the real stuff in our own minds, we start to see it as a thing in itself. So you get fascinated by a particular technique, meditation technique. And you don't see it as as conducive to the way out of suffering. You see it as something you've got to be good at. So this is a quite a strong tendency. They so say, "Well, you don't want to be bad at it." No, you don't want to be bad at it at all. But you don't want to be. It's not about being good at it or being bad about it, bad at it. It's about using it good enough so that within that you cultivate you can feel a gathering up of intelligence of wisdom of learning what mistakes are about of looking into your hopes and expectations of looking at your opinions about yourself and others and gradually kind of clearing some of this calming it every time we recognize this, this energy building up of, of defilement of hindrances and then you know, what's that? Can we can we come out of that, out of the grip of that? Every time you're contemplating the breath and you come to that place where your mind bunches up, and tightens up, or rattles and sags and just pausing, holding the breath, staying with it, breathing in, breathing out slowly, steadily releasing. It's rather like that. This isn't, of course, the only system only technique, but that's that gives you a practical example of, of what, the pro, what the practice is about. And to, to think that one should be there, nothing should happen, apart from breathing in and breathing out, is, uh, well, I don't know what planet you're on, you know. <laughs> but using it, rather than just as some trophy on a wall or something we get good at, using it within our own life and our own limitations, our own karma, Clearing our own karma, clearing our own tendency to get fascinated by the stuff that comes up, believing in it, shoving it away, forming opinions about it. So we find this place or this way whereby there is a real stepping out of attachment to it. Calm is part of that, but the 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 stepping out itself is insight. Where we something and you stops making something out of it, and it's as if the energy of that hindrance, that difficulty, begins to release, deconstruct, because you're not in there adding to it, making a self out of it, getting upset about it, getting fascinated by it. It's just it's left alone, and then it deconstructs because it's only kept going by this reflex of grasping of holding on to it compulsively and we can say okay you know anything we say anything I say is so half true because there is a holding to it which is not just a blind reflex but determined hey this is what we're doing now expand that to a monastery same thing monastery is a place where we experience our fears and joys and sorrows and happiness and unhappiness as part of our life vigil. See other people doing the same thing, going through their stuff, our defilements, our virtues, going through the same. That's what it's about. Now we can get absorbed into, you know, the structure of the monastery or the systems of the monastery or the people in the monastery or the teacher in the monastery or the buildings or whatever, finances, you name it. And then suddenly it's no longer, uh, we. you know, we've got to keep that awareness of it so it doesn't become something that is running us rather than the other way around. It doesn't mean we're not interested in people or buildings or finances or structures, but just looking at, what one's mind does happen with these things, these finite things, routines, you yeah. projects, retreats. it's all stuff, isn't it, that we can touching stuff off as people, yeah, most every year, it's kind of like, uh here. Yeah. So-and-so isn't making it, standards are declining, things are dropping away. It's always declining, it's been declining for as long as I've known it. It's a wonder it's still alive. It's been in constant decline. (laughs) Because I think we all know what it should be, and it isn't. And yet, uh, there is an opportunity to contemplate a not very good, not not terrible, not bad situation and seeing what it does. How we can conceive it being brilliant, perfect, wonderful, or we can conceive it being terrible, degraded, falling apart. But actually, it is uh, good, I was looking today at an article, this um, article on um, sexual transgressions in in religion. And this article was saying, well, of course, in some religions this is really an issue because they have uh, um, you know, celibate priests and bishops, and so they can, you know, they take a hard line. But in Buddhism, they don't have this because there's no, there's no, uh, they don't seem to have any issues around God or morality, um, celibate. Doesn't you know? So, so they don't quite know how to handle it. Um, So so they're referring to some Zen roshis who were being found out as having sexual relationships with their students, um, sometimes collusive, not necessarily abusive, but and the people beginning a bit shocked and upset by not knowing quite how to handle it because, of course, Buddhists don't have any any laws. I was thinking, wow, (laughs) you know, so. So it's that you yeah. know, yeah. whereas here there's never any sexual transgressions of that nature at all, would I mean, absolutely unthinkable, never have been Yet you know, some places it's it's so' it's so it's not even mapped as a problem. <laughs> Nobody's run away with the money. No, you know, physical violence. So in terms of human activity, this is this is paradise, fantastic. And yet, we can still feel the same sense of irritation, despair, wishing it was this way, wishing it was that way. So that's, you know... What it does, that's what it does, isn't it? It's what our minds do with that. And I can do the same thing. And I certainly would like to feel that, you know, whatever's difficult in here, we could clear that, get through that, you know, come to a better place, happier place. Uh, But from having been with it over years, I can recognize, yeah, that's that's the energy, that's good. Um, But for sure, there will be another one. For sure, there will be another one another thing that's not right difficult doesn't mean we don't handle it but what's the way of handling it that actually keeps intact this sense of the fundamental goodness of the situation, fundamental goodness I'm coming from a good place in myself rather irritated outraged, fed up overwhelmed dismissive Mm -hmm. then though there's no end to it There's no end to the suffering, no end to the not good enough. Still, one is responding to that from a place that is good enough. And it helps us to get the sense of integrating our goodness, recognizing that, and just recognizing by the way it touches all the imperfections and the pains and the sorrows and the defilements of the world. Then you're not hanging on to goodness even as something that you know you've got stored up and is mine and I'm I'm good and I'm okay. You're not even hanging on to release, but just how how we integrate into a world that is essentially not released. Without feeling contempt, conceit, pure, purer than all these righteous you know, things that come up in people or feeling, it's all hopeless. Sense of this to me is very important because then what I'm doing is just relaxing those things in my mind that can create people, other people and situations. Kind of coming from the place of goodness. So, I remember to give some examples. I remember this uh, when I was at Amrawadi, they had a standing Buddha in the courtyard, a nice bronze statue, standing Buddha, and uh, in the middle of Amrawadi. And Amrawadi has a driveway to it, which you used to be I'd just come storming in, driving straight up the driveway. So, what would happen was people would drive in, or well, some people would, most people would just driving part of their car but we would have a few yobos who like to drive in the middle of the night and screech around the courtyard in their cars and honk their horns and screech out again and then we just kind of know so what so nobody reacted to it so they come in again they start you know bashing things around stealing the offering boxes so we locked them all up and then they found this buddha and they just pushed it over so it crashed down the courtyard we've got Shoulder was all dented and the figure was damaged, and this was the night before Wesak when this happened. So, he came in the morning, looked around, and see this Buddha lying on the ground, broken up, not completely broken up, but dented and, and damaged. Mm. Oh goodness me! You know this is just shocking, outrageous. Being you know, upset about it, Ajahn Sumana said, "Well, no, this is the way it is." the world is like this this is what happens this is what we're doing this service mm-hmm. we'll set the border up straight and we'll try to you know repair it and we'll take steps to stop people coming in, check it so that moment where you can feel outrage you've been abused your boundaries have been invaded you've been abused something you hold precious has been, been damaged instead of the reaction of how dare they scum of the earth so on, mm-hmm. don't need to do that. That's not. It's not. don't. Why bother with that? Why bother to to go through that little creation in your mind? Why not just get real, relevant? This is what happens, and attend to it without going into that spin. People are like this. Young lads are like this. Somebody throws a brick through the Dumb Hall door smashes it a, few, a week or two ago, people are like this. Some people are like this, some of the time. Most people come here, don't throw bricks through the door. <laughs> this is the first one we've had in, in 30 years. So hundreds of, thousands, hundreds of people, thousands of people have been through here who have not thrown any bricks through any of our windows. And We have many windows, so how wonderful. And how wonderful because because when one person throws a brick through the window, you realize how many people haven't, and you realize actually most anybody could throw a brick through a window, you've got plenty of them and plenty of bricks, so well, oh, what a wonderful place, what wonderful world we live in, and not people not throwing bricks through our windows, and then you start to then you sort of get some perspective on some you know you can imagine them. Young tearaways trying to do something that's a bit thrilling. Oh well, crazy. And realising, you know, this is what some minds do some of the time. Yeah. But rather than feeling violated and uh, uh, abused and vulnerable and all those things, we realise how how protected and wonderful it really is. This only happens once. To appreciate to life is vulnerable, so guarding against the proliferations to absolutize the pain and the defilement, another occasion I remember uh, when I was at Amarwadi and tomato. Mm-hmm. I used to do think work for him, trying to sort some of his business out, and he'd been sent a letter, or a letter with a with a, uh, a photocopy and a photocopy of an article. And this photocopy was of, of, from Playboy magazine, and in this is a picture of this Buddha sitting there, and the Buddha, as you know, it sits sitting Buddha, Rupa sits cross legged with his hands in, in his lap. And they, they've done a Photoshop thing on this. So this Buddha was sitting there with his hands, his like masturbating. Um, and then he showed me this this uh, picture, this, this article. And then somebody obviously sent it to him because he doesn't get Playboy. Um, and there was outrage. Rrr, rrr, what are we going to do about this? Um, and so he said, well, perhaps you could write them a letter. Write a letter to these these publishers. So okay, so I go back and write my letter outrage, you know, you know, Buddhism wonderful teacher, the most enlightened being, and you're denigrating this sacred piece, what would you think if it was Jesus, and this guy took it back to him and he said no, no, it's not the right letter no, 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 no don't write that kind of letter write, try again so what do you want? so then I went back and thought about it a bit more and tried to imagine the owner of this magazine this is the person I'm going to write to Who's on the other side of this uh, issue, this boundary? Owner of a magazine actually doesn't care about the Buddha. Doesn't? Not, he's not a religious person. What he cares about is selling his magazines. Um, that's very important to him. And so I wrote saying, "Well, look at this thing." And um, you know, a lot of Buddhists will get quite upset about this picture you, you've had in your magazine. And uh, you know, you might find a lot of outrage and Probably some of them even read Playboy magazine. They might, you might lose some of your readership with this. So I send this off. <laughs> you know, for your welfare. I mean, probably loyal, devout Buddhists read Playboy magazines when they're having a night off or something. So, <laughs> so just a sense of concern for this person. <laughs> Trying to stretch my mind to experience a little more Rather than the outrage of feeling of, well, you know, go beyond the boundary of my outrage. And this is what, he's not a Buddhist, so he doesn't care. But he is someone who wants uh, to, uh, you know, be a successful person. So reach him on that level. And I took it back and I just made it, said, yeah, that's, that's right, just send him that. There's no point getting outraged and righteous about it all. So I'm not saying that this is a uh, this is uh, a kind of magazine article that I'd approve of or recommend or think is a good thing to do. But the sense of how do you how do you how do you meet the defiled and the wrong and the crazy and the disgusting and the shameful and the whatever that one, the one adjectives that your mind can come up with. What do you do with it when you meet it in the world around you? What do you do when you meet it in yourself? What happens, what triggers anger, rage despair depression oh that 's interesting isn 't it that 's that 's the bit isn 't it that 's the bit where and it 's not an easy bit because those are very powerful energies that run through us run through us don 't they You see where do they go to well. I mean you know pick your pattern, would you like depression? Where does that one go to? All oh, hopeless it goes on and on and on. We can concoct a world of of fatality and despair and no hope, and then just sit in that for a while, feel more and more depressed. then you're either trying to find some way to get out of it. you know give up on yourself or where does anger go to? angry, upset, blame somebody, get furious, da da da, da. where does that go to? Eventually you get to a point where it, you act upon it, or you, whatever, and then, you know, we sort of end up lodging it, giving it room, giving it a place to settle, giving it a story, giving it characters, giving it a me, giving it me being offended, me never being listened to, me being dumped on, giving one of the and yeah, sure I'm dumped on. But it's up to each of us to whenever we get dumped on or let down or it's up to each of us to I sort of, I don't want to I don't want to stay with that. I can't expect the world to, to give me an easy time or to be nice or polite or happy. I've sort of given up on that one. But the one I'm working with is how do I store that up so it becomes a wound? And around that, these continual turbulences of frustration and anger and stories and people and worlds arise. That's something that there's some possibility of me changing. Living in a world of pure arahants is not going to happen. So you know, we just really come. We come to these places. What's the appropriate response? Now, is it purely internal? I just sit here and work at it. Is it external? I go out there and try to sort it out. Or is it a bit of both? You know, perhaps it's a bit of, because sometimes the suffering is a bit of both. Something happened out there that's touching me in here. Maybe the. The integration the, of, the, of the release is both. There's some sense in me in which I... Okay, you're not, you know, not going to make a story out of that. But then externally, I think, well, we need to put something in here that's appropriate response. And what, built some gates eventually. <laughs> stop people charging up the driveway in their cars. Okay. Yeah, there's a response response and that what's really necessary and uh, there's been taking the time with that so we're not coming from reaction you notice when the you can see all the training rules is is in a way where the Buddha established responses to defilements and and, uh, things going wrong one way or another but he didn't want to do that particularly. It wasn't like something that he he was just realizing it was something that was a, a series of responses. He was asked to create a training system and he said, no, no, wait until things go wrong and then we'll just let it go wrong and then respond to it and place something in there. So it was neither it was both internal and you know, actually an external, coming to a place where accept that, understand it for what it is, and then see what the wise response is to do to that. Mm-hmm. Creating these training rules, boundaries on behavior. And every poster today, we come back to that. The training rules, where we've m- made a mistake, and Probably, if one's uh, making much more of it, making it really useful, you look into your own mind and think, where have I lost it this week, this last fortnight? Where have I, what am I left with? What are the residues of um, anger or despair or fear or worry or blaming or negligence or who gives a damn carelessness? You know, what's that? Mm-hmm. Do I want to include this in my life or is it something that I'm trying to clear? And every time you come back to that, let's again chance to come back to the we're offered a place, we're offered a teaching, and there is goodness here. Come back to that, really rest in that, and feel that in oneself, resonate with that, feel that beauty in oneself. And then I can do better than this, I can clear that. And it's a process whereby. You know, part of, the, part of the trick of it is that you can't just keep correcting from some legalistic position. I know I should do that, I shouldn't be this way, I should be that way. How does it correction really happen? Acknowledgment, taking it in, finding out there's something where I'm losing touch with my own clarity, my own happiness, my own resources, my own joyfulness, my own compassion. Can I get back to that? That which brings me here to be a practitioner. Can I get back to that? Sit in that. Breathe in that. Feel that. And then, now how is that going to meet the fact that I, you know, messed up here, messed up there? The fact that she did this and he did that and they never do this. How, it, how am I going to meet that from this place? So we bring the two together. The some sense of our path, our path factors, our path aspiration, and where we're challenged. We bring the two together. Very important to keep not just correcting things externally from a uh, clear enough, in many ways, understanding of the problem, but, but letting it be resolved from this spiritual basis. There's a difference there. Certainly living with uh, experienced practitioners like Ajahn Sumedho, or what I experienced with Ajahn Chah or heard of his th- stories about him was Um, sometimes things are going wrong and yet not acting yet not acting yet waiting until the response comes from a place of clarity and compassion rather than irritation and anger sorry I can't do it yet because I'll be acting from ill will can't do that I have to wait until the sense of you know, when it's with other people, I see this person as a nuisance, uh idiot, uh, not pulling his weight, uh, pain, disruptive. Uh-oh, I can't act yet. <laughs> because I'm, it's marked with my disappointment and ill will. When I see them as a person who is who came here, who comes here with that seed of truth, and they're confused, and they're lost, and they're reactive, Ah, now I can act. Now I can do something. Now I can say, hey, this isn't what your actions are not taking you where you want to go, are they? Mm-hmm. They're gonna you know, then there's a possibility of acting. And it's so that's it's um it's that process. When, you, when one recognises that there's never, an, never a, cl- a clearing on the ground level, on this manifest level of these problems, then you don't get so impatient. You don't get, well, you get rid of this nuisance and that problem and that difficulty because you realise there'll be another one coming right after it. So why hurry? Get it right. Get, this is a training place to get, get right our response to the suffering, the ignoble, whatever, we experience around us. To get that right. If you don't, you have to keep doing it again and again and again. There's something about karma. And if we don't get it right now, then you get the next one comes up and you get tested again. Get rid- This irritating person leaves. Oh, finally he's gone. Oh, great. And then somebody else. Somebody else who is always turning up late or eats noisily or yaps to y- natters all the time or never says anything or doesn't cooperate. Get rid of him, they'll be all right. Then there's another one. <laughs> so you think, well, what I need to get rid of is irritation and frustration. Hmm. And maybe these good people are helping me to do that. And it's like the mind starts to form particular patterns and, and habits, and there's very powerful habit of addiction. And they can trace these these expi- this experience as particular, like um, cu- oh, I don't know what they call them, synapses or currents in the brain. Uh, once you establish a particular pattern, particularly around pleasure, obviously, that something is experienced as pleasant, so we do it, and it sends this little thrill through the system. Oh, a little p- pathway opens up, of pleasure runs through. They so do it again. Oh, that pathway is known. It's almost as if the the nervous system knows that that particular path, that particular connection of synapses. The same with pain. We don't just know it intellectually; we know it neurologically. And this is why addiction is so so deep. Because even when you know, hey, this is not doing me any good, in your head, in your in your nervous system. Does, just can't stop it because we've established that particular reflex. It's become beyond our conscious control. It's become unconscious, ground established. Mm-hmm. So you can know, you know, cigarette smoking or whatever doesn't do you any good, and yet you can't because the the you know there's so, such an established pattern there that's beyond one's conscious control, and you have to have these really force it. If you're an alcoholic you have to go through the whole process of recognising that your, your ego, your, your intellect, your conscious faculties are incapable of solving this problem. So it's kind of humility and then we build in structures that at least prevent one from going down that track again. I think the same thing happens with many patterns that we have addiction is generally about pleasure patterns but one can start to recognize the particular karmic patterns that we go round, and we keep running around them you know, time and time again so they become, start to become embedded, the fault finding mind um, the uh, rebel the, uh, the victim you know, here we go again here we go again We go again, and just something can happen, and there we go again because the pathway is open to be the fault finder, or the rebel, or the victim, or the you know, whatever it is. You know, there it goes again, and in it, it's totally real, it's got energy running through it, it's alive, it's me, it's there it is. And I guess, in our terms, when we start to look at our Karma, review it broadly, you see these particular patterns and tendencies. And to me, there's something really, I wouldn't say fearful, but alarming about you know, hey, there you are again, doing it again, being it again. And a lot of time, not knowing it, because it seems to be just events. And one is so formed in that and the mind is so capable of forming a whole world around it so effortlessly that no, I'm not making that up it's real of course you're not making making it up as a conscious thing but do you see the repetition of it isn't that how that repeated pattern is happening hmm? isn't that a kind of a hmm like a something and and uh, in that, who are oh, who do I become? What do I become? Am I becoming in that, you know, the one in charge or the victim or the something, you know, whatever it is? That's what I'm going to be. That's what I'm going to be. Because the energy's running down. That is that. Is that my goodness? Is that my aspiration? Is that my place of enlightenment? No, it's not. And yet it's acquiring a power to it. So this is where we really have to take it quite seriously to, to check that it gets addictive. Luminous. Potent. And, uh, and then we lose touch with the potency and the luminosity of release is so um, important that most everything else is secondary to that so if you you know if you can't um, so for example if, if it gets locked in, in a situation like in a monastery it's best to go you know it's that important you know the boundaries of the monastery are, are relative compared to you want to work out your karma you know take on trainings as, as a nun as a whatever and and you're actually just increasing this, it's time to leave, do something else. Disrobe, even. Or go to another place. Hopefully, you know, go to another place, find another scenario, you can get another angle on it. It's that important. Because now we're looking really at life, a life vigil. Not, you know, being a a character or in a group or whatever. We're looking at karma this is this is strong stuff is it allowing you to gather your goodness? It doesn't mean that there won't be the karma's not going to happen. The patterns aren't going to happen, but are they increasing deepening strengthening, becoming more you know embodied or are they waning? Are you getting on top of them? Are you in that situation whereby even as you experience yourself going into that you can say hey wait a minute what's happening where's 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 the good where's the goodness where's the goodness in her where's the goodness in me where's the where do I touch into suddenly another way of looking at the world you know out of you know compassion or calm or clarity or soberness Can, can we do are we doing that then we're even these difficulties in our life, we're starting to turn it the other way. To avoid one's karma is, is another possibility. You know, find a place where it isn't happening. Yeah, but it, if you can. <laughs> but ideally, you want to find a, be in a situation where you can, it, you can see it, you can recognize you're becoming something, you're taking form, and you've got enough leverage to to know how to release that. Mm -hmm. to work with it this is a life process releases may in fact you can get some release may happen quite quickly and we may in fact in not too great a time find some sense of space, openness, release, letting go flashes of deathless flashes of enlightenment great, but integration undoing the whole package I don't think this is, this is happens that quick. Sometimes you don't even know what the package is. Let alone undoing it. So we need to keep bringing our practice into the whole of our life. To feeling tired. To feeling busy. To feeling nothing's happening. To really being interested in Dhamma, to being totally bored with it. Hmm. Seeing where these uh, karma happens. It's rather like uh, some use a simile of a person who manages in a prison, and they manage to bore a hole through the wall, and they can look out with one eye. They can see freedom. But such a person would be foolish to say they're released just because they can get one eyeball for peak of it. Or as I mentioned, knock a hole in the wall enough to get their head out, and wave their head outside and say, I'm a free person. <laughs> I'm free, look, I can do all this. And yeah, yeah, great, your head's free, but what about... You? But you know, in that moment of feeling free, you probably don't notice. They're probably waving their head around in the free air, thinking how wonderful it is to be released. Now you don't. You don't want to keep focusing on release. Realise there is that, but focus on where you're not released. Where you're finding problems with uh, your body, with other people, with the way life is. Where you're getting pressed. Then you see, hey, there's another brick here. Let's take that out. Take that out. Take that out. So that you know, wherever you go. Wherever you go, you're not getting squashed. You're not getting pushed. You're not blowing up. Then you can. Then we know release. When we can walk it, move it, shift it around, live it. And uh, yeah, you know, sometimes the, it gets more difficult because when you know a little bit of release, you want to go back to that place again and again, waving your head outside the window, saying, "I'm a free man." <laughs> it was good. But then, yeah, okay, enough. Now I come back to the the rest of it. So in our meditation, it's often just this, contemplating how pain is marked with ill will. You experience pain, the mind makes that aversion to that. Pleasant feeling, the mind approves of that. Disagree, you know, it marks things, and can that, can that, that marking of ill will, longing, can that stop? Can feeling tired, sleepy, can we be with that without marking it with failure, ill will, had enough, poor yuck. Can we see people kind of falling over half asleep now thinking, oh, slacker, useless, can't meditate? Can we just see somebody struggling without making something out of it? Can we see someone cr- uh, creeping off to the woodshed for a f- cigarette without feeling, how dare they, disgusting. <laughs> this is a All you know, this kind of stuff. Say well, yeah, if they, were, if they were drinking beer, we might have something to say about it, but okay. Yeah. it's okay, he's taking his time, working it out. Mm-hmm. Can we look around in the morning, it's four o'clock in the morning, and see there's only two people left in the hall without thinking, bunch of slackers, wasting my time here. Just saying, okay, two people made it through, wonderful. The other good folk, are. may they be happy enjoying their... You know, however long you leave it, you know, you're going to have to work with it sooner or later, but I'm not going to make something out of it. (laughs) So this is the life vigil, and uh, let's not uh, make it more painful, more difficult than it is. Let's enjoy each other's company and try to use this for a sense of, you know, group resolve, the... Helping is what it's for. Trying to work with that, realising if somebody really can't make it, well, that's the best they could do. You know, don't break up the group with approval and disapproval. And Then we are really starting to develop a life of compassion and, and uh, that we feel comfortable in. So, I'll offer this for your reflection tonight.